5-4-3-2-1 You are listening to the Mango Tea Podcast with Jody and DK We are a non-partisan Jamaican and Caribbean podcast for the diaspora We give you tea with a slice of mango mm. And information on current events, politics and politics Finance, sports and culture We created this podcast for the diaspora to know what's happening in the Caribbean beyond the gossip Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mango Tea Podcast, where we give you tea with a slice of mango. Today, we have an illustrious guest with us. She's hailing from the powerful of the UN Caribbean office. We have Issy with us. Yes. Welcome. Thank you for joining. Um, today, today we're going to talk about a recent survey that the UN Caribbean office did on domestic violence in, with, uh, within the region, particularly with, on, um, with five CARICOM countries, Suriname, Guyana, Grenada, Trinidad, Jamaica, and Barbados. And given the recent coverage we've done on domestic violence, um, against women this year alone, unfortunately, um, we think that this survey comes at a perfect time and we really wanted to we took a look at the survey and we really wanted to have a discussion with someone from the um un women caribbean office and the angels opened up and issy appeared (laughs) so now we have her with us today um so issy what's your favorite mango Let's, let's jump My right favorite right. mangoes, which I didn't know they were called this until today when I Googled them, was Julie mangoes. I just know them as the small mangoes with spots. Sometimes it has spots. I don't like the green ones, but I like the yellow uh-huh. small uh-huh. ones, which are called Julie mangoes. The yellow ones. <laughs> and you're based in Barbados, correct? I'm based in Barbados. Yes. I get some kind of allergic reaction to the green ones. I don't know why. <laughs> Really? You're the first yeah. person I have ever met that said they had an allergic reaction to Like my, my throat kind of oh my itches. Goodness. It's not like a severe one. Um, but, you know, that's how I react to the long green mangoes. So I prefer the other ones. <laughs> okay. So how did you get involved with the UN Women Caribbean Office? So I've been working with the UN system um, since 2004. Uh, so almost about 17 years. Um And uh, I was born and raised in Nigeria of a Barbadian mother and a Nigerian father. Um, And I think from the time I was small, I was always a feminist. Mm -hmm. I didn't mean not have called myself that, but I've always, you know, had a very strong um, feeling for uh, gender equality, women's rights and gender justice. And I started working with UNIFEM in 2004. UNIFEM is one of four now defunct UN agencies that dealt with gender equality and women's empowerment in the UN system. And then in 2010, they all merged, right, to form UN Women. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, I left um, UNIFEM at the time in 2006, and then I came back in 2012 to the UN Women Caribbean office, now a result of this merger. And um, I managed the economic empowerment and statistics work. So that's basically, you know, about 17 years. <laughs> wow. So you're, you're doing God's work. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what does UN Women do in the Caribbean? Okay, so what we work on... Special? 
Okay. Well, I don't know if you can say we're special, but we are trying to contribute, right? Um, mm-hmm. in some way to 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 promoting gender equality and women's empowerment. So we work on five areas. The first is um the first area which is very important is monitoring treaties and global human rights frameworks on gender equality and women's empowerment. And one of these um, is the CEDAW Convention, which is the, the UN Women's the Women's Convention, as it's called, the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, which I like to call the Global Constitution for Women's Rights and Gender okay. Equality. <laughs> but there are a few countries that haven't signed up to it. Very few of them in, that are member in, states. In the United States. In the Caribbean? No, all Caribbean countries, most countries in the world have signed up, but the United States hasn't. Um, so, you know, so, so that's something I wanted to share as well. Um, and the SDGs, I don't know if you've heard of the SDGs, but we also monitor that. There's um, globally agreed development goals that countries have globally came together to agree that this is what they want to achieve in the next 15 years um, for development. And one of those is goal five on gender equality and women's empowerment. So we, we also monitor that to see, you know, how countries in the Caribbean are complying and so on. Um, a second area of, of work is on violence against women, where we, we support our partners in government and civil society to um, strengthen the policy response, the legal response, service delivery, behavior mm-hmm. change um, for, for survivors, and also uh, working with, with men who have perpetrated right? um, uh, violence against women. Uh, we also work, we have now developing um, a very important area of work, which is the humanitarian assist- assistance and disaster risk uh, resilience, which we have to do because of where we are located. Um, and ensuring that in that response, yeah. um, whether it's, you know, working with smallholder women, farmers, extra, ensuring that the, the assistance that's provided has a gender lens. And finally, on economic empowerment, um, we also work on that, on, on social protection issues, um, on women, supporting women in agriculture and, in, and the private, and working with the private sector uh, as well. So that's in a nutshell what we do um, for UN Women, uh, or what UN Women does, I should say, in the Caribbean. So jumping into the survey, so how did this survey come about? And how long, when was it, when when did you start research? So we started advocating for this survey really in 2013, but the actual work began in 2015. And the reason for this is, um, you know, when I talked about the the norm, the frameworks, the um, like the CEDAW convention and so on that I just spoke about, one thing that consistently came up for the Caribbean countries is that they did not have data, so they couldn't report on, you know, the progress that they had made on prevalence of, of violence against women. They can't report on unpaid care work. They can't report on a lot of indicators on sexual and reproductive health and rights. And we felt that this was a major gap, that data gap that needed to be filled. And also it needed to be filled because how can you make effective policy? How can you do design programs on prevention and so on and response if you don't have data that tells you how many people uh, or what the percentage of your population is at risk, you know, for violence against women. They didn't have that mm-hmm. data. So, um, so starting in 2016, we started with Jamaica 
and Trinidad and Tobago, and then rolled out to to um, to the other countries. So, um, so that's really how it started. It was as a result of what I call the gender data deficit. You know, you have countries all over the world, including in least developed countries that are reporting, and the Caribbean is has this this problem with large data gaps on social and gender statistics, interestingly enough, um, more so than other areas. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that was kind of the push. What was the most challenging part of the survey, in your opinion? The challenges were different by country. Mm-hmm. Um, in some countries, you had, um, like in Jamaica, gang violence that sometimes interrupted the conduct of the survey. In Guyana, you had weather-related challenges, Mm -hmm. right? Where they had to go deep into the hinterland, right? And they had to confront floods and all of that. Uh, Enumerators who are gems had to take canoes and so on, boats to go into hinterland villages to collect this data. So I really want to commend them. And we are so grateful to to not only the women who gave their information, but also the the women, because only women could do this to, to could only be the data collectors to go out there in very harsh circumstances to collect this data. And then institutionally, we had when the data was being collected and analyzed, some capacity issues within national statistics offices because they are not used to to collecting data on this topic. So I would say those are some of the challenges that we we faced. And so it's difficult to pick just one. So these, I would say, are the most challenging. Yeah. And they're different types. Yeah. Because I can just imagine, and you're working across five very different countries as well. Um, Yeah, I, I feel like I would have like a glass of wine every like at least five times a day just for the each of the five countries um i understand when you were examining the data what was the most surprising thing that came out of it for you you know i was really surprised that religious leaders and ngos did not feature highly as um institutions that women turn to for support Hmm. And that was very interesting. The highest was the healthcare sector, which is not surprising because if you're injured, you know, you go to the hospital. The police, not not surprising. But the court system is not seen as very responsive. And then you had very a small, even smaller percentage saying that they turned to their priest or their imam or their, you know, religious um, leader. And this was very interesting, particularly because most of the women in these countries agreed with the statement that the man is the natural or God-intended head of the household, the belief that's perhaps driven by religious beliefs. So you kind of see like the opposite happening when we ask them, then do you do you go to the same religious leaders? And clearly not, mm-hmm. right? So I found that surprising. For the NGOs, I think I, it was surprising in the sense that many of our feminist colleagues on the ground are running NGOs doing wonderful work, but because of the lack of resources, they can't be everywhere. Yeah. But even yeah. then, it was still shocking. If you are in Kingston, you can't be in the rural area delivering you know, services the same way, way you would in Kingston. Mm-hmm. And the same way in Guyana, in Georgetown versus going into hinterland areas. So I think that civil society and NGOs really need support and you know it was kind of shocking to see that despite all their best efforts they're not having their that reach so you know I I always wonder this because I am again I grew up very I think I grew up in a very traditional millennial um Caribbean household I was 
um, I grew up in the Caribbean and I migrated to the States. But when I was in the Caribbean, especially I'm Jamaican, as I told you before, there is a, uh, there is a lot of religious inferences or religious references everywhere you go on that island. Like within, I think, I think within a block in one, in my neighbor, in my old neighborhood, I think there were like three churches on one block and Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm kind. I, I'm kind of surprised by the stat. The, that's that that came out um, that they don't go to um, they don't go to pastors or, or, or such. But I, I can see it. Um, in the, within the survey, you asked some questions around childhood behaviors and influences. Is there anything that stood out um, within the survey? I think it's quite clear now from the the results that there is a relationship between corporal punishment Mm -hmm. within households and beating children and also the type and well and also with children witnessing their mother being beaten clearly what the data showed is that women women who were with men whose mothers who witnessed their own father beating their mother or women who themselves witnessed their father beating their mother experienced Mm -hmm. intimate partner violence at higher rates and so that means that if you are if the woman was beaten as a child if she witnessed her mother being beaten as a child if she if her partners divulged to her that his you know he witnessed his father being beaten by his mother that woman is at a much higher risk of experiencing intimate partner violence than, than women who did not experience these kinds of things in childhood. And this is a difficult pill for many of us in the Caribbean to swallow because, you know, beating children, fighting in the household and so on. I'm not saying it's it's in every household, but it's common. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and we don't think about the impact this is having um, on, on, on children and what we are putting them at risk of now not every child whose mother or father was in this situation i would say would grow up to be a batterer or a victim Mm -hmm. of violence but they just are at a higher risk right so that is uh interesting very interesting and you know a a question just popped up in my head um what i've i i what i've noticed or what what i've something i've always thought about is caribbean women we are so 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 strong so 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 strong without women says caribbean society would be nothing and we uphold a lot of pillars of society so church is important it's predominantly women women are um teachers nurses business owners all of these things but it's it's really surprising to for at least from my perspective that femicide domestic violence is so high even though we have such strong powerful women why do you and i know this is random and out there why do you do you do you have do you think that's like well it's not surprising it's not surprising to me because even though we have these strong women how are they strong they are still i mean the same a lot of these same women when we asked the survey said that they believe the man is the god intended head they don't believe that they will give his money to 
give their money to him, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Yeah. You didn't see, you wouldn't have seen that on the platform. You would, you would have seen that in the reports if you read the reports. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm referring to the Caribbean Women Count platform. The, I think I yeah, 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 yeah. With yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, so there are many contradictory things that these strong women are saying. Oh, the man is the head of the household, but I'm not going to give my money to him. Uh, but I believe that the woman's role is is at is, is to take care of her home. You know, they hold these very patriarchal beliefs themselves, which is my point, mm -hmm. right? So they may appear as strong, and they are strong, but when it comes to confronting patriarchy, I am not sure that that is the case. Yes, and in in, in a way that otherwise we would have no gender-based violence otherwise women women will not be paid less than men despite being more highly educated than men in the caribbean mm -hmm. um they still get paid less right um, women experience unemployment at higher rates and all of that so i mean so clearly the strength is in holding the family together yes they're at the forefront yes they are the go-to people for everything but when it comes to actually experiencing the rights that they deserve, um, we're not there yet. Okay. Yeah. And that's why our feminist movement is also quite fledgling. And then the same feminist NGOs I spoke to you about, the women's NGOs, are, 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 are need a, um, a lot of support, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that wouldn't be the case if we had a strong women's movement. Okay. I, I another random question has come up in my my head um, around horning. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> did horning um, or cheating? Yes, it did. Okay. Okay. Yes, it did. It did. And and what was quite interesting um, is that men who how will I say this in a way that. Um, you are on Mango Tea podcast. Men, that's okay. <laughs> If in, in three of the five countries, uh, if women who were with men who had an extramarital relationship mm -hmm. were at higher risk of experiencing intimate partner violence, Grenada, Guyana, and Jamaica, mm -hmm. right? Uh, less so in the other countries, but in these three countries. And also... Um, yeah, so I would say that very clearly there is a link between that and also in terms of controlling behaviors, men, women who um, are, are with men who exhibit controlling behaviors like checking the cell phone, not wanting her to have friends and so on, and accusing her, whether or not she did it or not, of horning, mm -hmm. um, were at higher risk of experiencing intimate partner violence. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there are different ways you can look at this. There, there are, for some people, it was surprising that there was this uh, link between um, men having extramarital relationships or having children with other women and intimate partner violence. But that came out quite clearly in those three countries. Wow. Um Guyana, in the, in the survey, on the site, I noticed that Guyana had the highest prevalence of domestic violence um, when compared to the other countries. I think it, it was around at 53, 55%, whereas other countries were either within the high 30s to um, mid 40s. Why do you think that Guyana has such a high prevalence of domestic violence? Um, I have to say I'm not surprised, and I'm sorry if you hear the dogs barking in the background. That is fine. It's the Caribbean. <laughs> 
Um, the, 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 the thing is, it's quite complex. In some countries, and it, this has become a bit controversial with this, this particular survey globally, including in outside of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. where in some countries where you have a stronger women's movement, you get higher prevalence rates because women are more willing to divulge in some. Right. In this particular case, I have to say I don't know because we haven't done enough of the surveys to be able to say that there's a trend. Okay. Right. That there's a trend in this. This is the first survey of its kind. But I'm willing to guess as well. And this is a guess. Mm-hmm. We have to do more research on this. That perhaps is also linked to poverty rates. That Guyana does have the highest poverty, one of the higher poverty rates, um, when compared to other Caribbean countries. Um, in some countries, I, I, I think it may have to do with, you know, women's, uh, women be maybe being more comfortable with um, culturally um, divulging personal information. I should say that in all of these surveys, these are under reports. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? When it's 30%, you're probably in reality really talking, saying it's, it's really like 50%, mm-hmm. right? So so I would I would say I, I'm sorry I don't have a, a, a answer, but I, what I do want to say is that, and this is something that was surprising to some people, that in both Trinidad and Guyana, which have the most diverse populations of the surveys that we conducted, ethnicity or race did not make a difference. And many people were expecting Indian women to experience, be the ones that experience higher IP, intimate partner violence, and that was actually not the case in both in both countries. So, you know, there was no statistically significant um, ethnicity or race didn't, didn't, was not a statistically significant factor in terms of intimate partner violence. Okay. Even though some ethnicities did say, did experience higher IPV in the case of, um, but not at statistically significant higher rates. In the case of Trinidad and Guyana, mm-hmm. it was mixed or Afro-African women who experienced IPV at higher rates, physical and or sexual violence. Yeah. Wow. So speaking of Trinidad, um, there has been a a terrible, terrible trend of femicide yes. in the country, um, disgustingly so, and I think it's it's on the rise. And there's also been, a, a, I think earlier this year, a case of femicide, controver- highly controversial case of femicide in Jamaica um, with the murder of a young woman. So the government's response to both of these have been... Um, legalizing pepper spray how effect is how is this going to be effective legalizing pepper spray uh no um you know because pepper spray is not the root cause of the problem (laughs) the root cause of the problem is gender inequality and the fact that women's rights are not respected that's the root of the problem and while you can say that you know you can give pepper spray to women um, and so on, and, and they might be able to defend themselves. We have to remember that most cases of violence, the women know the, the, the perpetrator quite well. It's their husband, it's their boyfriend, it's someone that they are in love with, or in many cases, or mm-hmm. you know, um, and they won't just randomly pick up a pepper spray and spray. Yeah. Right? Um, because they, this, it's most of the cases, yes, you have these horrible cases where it may be a stranger, where it may even be the police or other people that they don't know attacking them. But in most cases, it's someone they know. And so then the question has to be, how do we address the root causes? And it is rooted in, you know, 
it's rooted in unequal beliefs in unequal gender norms. Like I said um, earlier about the, the interesting statement that the man is the natural head, women who answered yes to that question and women who answered yes to the question that a woman's primary role is to take care of the home, those women experienced IPV, um, intimate partner violence at higher yeah. rates. And what does that tell us? It tells us that if they believe that their role is sub to be subservient to the man, hmm. then they will experience, um, they, they are more at risk of, of experiencing intimate partner violence. So I think we have to explore that and toxic masculinity and all of these unequal gender norms. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a quick fix. But, you know, the pepper spray might be a very short-term thing, but it's not going to address... Um, the in, long the, term. in the long run, it's not going to address the issue. So, what do you th what do you think we we can start now? We can do now to start that long term change. I think we have to work with men. We have to work with you know we're looking at children and the impact that our own violent cultures have mm -hmm. um, on children and what they will retain and <laughs> as the model for healthy or unhealthy relationships and replicate that in adulthood. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, so, so then we need to look at um, we, we and we are doing a lot of this in UN Women um, uh, with our partners as well. Uh, we have to look at what people believe. That means we have to work with young people in schools. We have to look work with children in terms of promoting gender equal relationships from the time of childhood. It has to be in the curriculum of school. You know, of schools. We have to look at our communities um, and, and what I call the bystander um, effect where people witness these, these acts and don't say anything and maybe even promote that. And we are not saying go and break up a fight between two people who are fighting. No, that's not what we are saying. But when you are a bystander and you're kind of saying, oh, well, that's normal. Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't report, you're contributing to the problem. Institutionally, I, um, you know, we, I, I said we, women are not turning to their pastors. Women are not turning to the judicial system in a way that they should. We have to work on the institutional response. How, how many NGOs have the capacity to, to, to provide shelter support in rural Jamaica, in, 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 in everywhere in Jamaica, in, in Guyana, in Grenada, and so on? And how does our police respond? How do our healthcare system, how does the healthcare system respond? So you can see it's a myriad of things, a myriad of, you know, all hands on deck kind of approach. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody has a role to play. Okay. Right? Um, so in terms of dismantling toxic masculinity, um, I, I think it's a global conversation in dismantling yeah. it, but like, Again, I feel like for Caribbean Caribbean culture, we are like there's the global culture, there's America, there's Europe, but I feel like Caribbean culture, it's it's a different animal. How and it's absolutely unique, and our solutions are not necessarily going to look like the same as what's being done in the United States or in Europe. What would dismantling to toxic masculinity look like in the in the Caribbean? Hmm. I think it has a lot to do with with uh, what I just spoke of, which is confronting it head on yeah. in, in how we raise our boys and how we raise our girls. And it's not going to be easy, but we can do it because we are not the first. We are not, as you said, we are not the only country yeah. that is experiencing the IPV. 
and um un women has some uh, uh, an intervention called a foundations program which is a school-based curriculum approach mm-hmm. um to ending violence against women and girls and so you know that's not the only school-based approach but that's some that's that's something we've developed that we are deploying um you know we in terms of uh, the partnership for peace program i don't know if you've heard about it but it started in grenada and it's now expanded and it's court connect as a court connected program where the court refers people who have been um, com- um convicted mm-hmm. um of of uh, um, committing domestic violence as long as it's a non um you know not a criminal offense obviously um but um that uh and is if it's a first time offense and they are sent to get counseling and support and oh, so wow so that's something that we have been promoting um in in the region and it, it addresses obviously toxic masculinity and i sat in on one of these have a number of years ago and i have to tell you that you know um while while some of these programs may not yield the best results globally because it's hard by the time you started beating a woman it's hard to change your behavior mm-hmm. but i do think we have to continue with 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 things like this because we have to address you, you know even if it's out of the 10 men you you get two <laughs> yeah it's something <laughs> that it's something right um and then the toxic masculinity that we promote inherently in our entertainment and in our media we have to address that right mm-hmm. we have to address that because that is how violence becomes normalized when we say oh daggering i'm sure you know as a yeah. uh, you know it is 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 what is prevalent and all these kinds of things and we 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 had um um developed a kind of a media entertainment partnership in UN Women a couple of years ago. We probably need to revive this some more, but that's, I'm mentioning this because this is also something that we can do. And the diaspora as well can help with with, with this, right? Because mm-hmm. many of these entertainers come to Carnival in, not, you know, in Notting Hill, in Brooklyn, you know, Toronto. There are many things that the diaspora, you know, can, can help us with, with this on. And then the private sector where women go to work um, every day, they face sexual harassment, toxic masculinity. They face sexual harassment. They face that kind of violence and, and violation of their rights at work because of this toxic masculinity. So then we have to look at working with the private sector to address that, right? Um, and we're doing some of that in Jamaica, actually, um, where we have a program on, on um, with the private sector there. So I think that these are not all the solutions, but it's it's some, some things that can be done. Mm-hmm to address you know um toxic masculinity i mean it's it's a start so why should people of the diaspora pay attention to the survey why is it important well i i will say that this has far-reaching consequences and i will tell you i'll give you an example of how this has impacted the diaspora Mm -hmm. one of our researchers who is a canadian of guyanese descent she did some qualitative research in, in Canada. Her name is Ruth Rodney. She got a call from an attorney in New York who had seen the Guyana prevalence survey report and he had a client who was about to be deported. And the, the, the defense that they, you know, what she, she didn't want to return to Guyana because of, um, you know, some, some um, the, 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 the violence that she would face there. They were looking at this report 
they were looking at our, our reports as evidence of the prevalence of violence and what their clients may be returning to. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, this is just an example of how the diaspora is already using some of our work, right. To defend Caribbean citizens overseas. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but there are many other ways. Like I, I spoke about civil society. I think that is one area that actually the diaspora can help because many of these um, institutions I spoke to give you an example, I said to some of them, okay, we can give you grants, but what about a GoFundMe? But there are rules against GoFundMe. An NGO in Guyana cannot just do a GoFundMe because they may face some banking kind of regulations that prevent them from receiving. So I think that this is where the diaspora can really help to revive and expand the women's movement in terms of their reach. You know, it can't just be a reliance on the UN or on foundations. I think the, the power of the diaspora then becomes very important and the survey when you look at our reports you can get actual forensic details about the response yeah. if you're sitting in new york or you're sitting in london or philadelphia or wherever you'll be able to look and say okay this is what is happening pick up the phone i'm going to try and help an ngo in grenada or i'm going to try and help an ngo in guyana right to help solve this problem so i think for the diaspora um your link, the, the Caribbean has always been global, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know from the very beginning, from its traumatic past to you know to, to now, and so I think the, the, the diaspora really can help. Is a, it can be a source of tremendous strength um, and and help and support and assistance to addressing this this issue. I I remember I, I even spoke just now about carnival and all these entertainers that go up there, mm-hmm. right? And promote the same talks. Some of them, not all, promote the same toxic masculinity or whatever in their messaging that this is something that the diaspora, the, the, the feminists, the gender equality advocates located in the diaspora can help us address, right? Um, so um, so these are some of the things. And you may even have some idea for, for me, for us. <laughs> some ideas, sorry. For us. I feel like so, my ideas would be way yes. too extreme. Um, <laughs> way too extreme. Yeah, okay. my my co-host and I were were polar opposites. Uh, whereas I'm very liberal and he's semi-conservative, and we go to bat all the time. And we actually talk about music um, and its influence on society and crime. Um, so this is this is this is a notch for him. Um, but de- definitely, definitely acknowledge that there is toxic toxic masculinity in in music. Um, and and it and it does have a negative influence. Okay. Mm-hmm. And without censoring, because I also believe as a artist in my non pay, you know, outside of my work, I believe that you shouldn't censor artists. Yeah. Right. Uh, in it, but but I also believe that there's a limit. Agreed. As well. Agreed. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I have um one. I have one last question. I'm so sorry. Um. But what is your favorite tea? <laughs> I have. Seven, oh my gosh! But since he asked me, I am a big tea oh. drinker. Tell, tell, but, tell us all. Tell us all. <laughs> I like Earl Grey. I like Silver Needle tea. Mm-hmm. White silver. This is a Chinese tea, and I like. <laughs> I also like chai. So, those are my top three. And then, of course, when I just feel very, you know, a good old Lipton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> From time to time, yep. And then you're, and then you're in the island, so you can go in your backyard and you can go and get tea. 
in the bush. Exactly. Exactly. Even though those are not my favorites, but they're probably healthier than me than, than <laughs> the ones I just mentioned. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Um, well, Issy, yes. I want to thank you so much for joining us, especially um, on a day like today, given that you're dealing with the um, the ash from the volcano. Thank you for sitting down and talking to us about this survey. Um, for our listeners, we'll definitely be posting about the survey a lot and posting links so everyone can take a look at the survey um, um, website and also at the extensive reports as well because these were also very very dense and very informative thank you so much and i should say that um the grenada one mm-hmm. should be up you, you have the quality there the, the survey reports and the qualitative research comp- um, reports mm-hmm. for each country but in grenada we are still working on the survey report but we are going to be but the qualitative report is on that platform and as soon as the survey report is completed then we'll upload it there so that's the only one that's missing but every everything, everything else, else is, there. is up awesome there. all right well yes. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks a okay, lot. Bye. Stay safe. You too. Bye. Right. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Mango Tea Podcast and, of course, sipping tea with us. Like this episode, download, and most importantly, share. Follow us on all social media at Mango Tea Podcast. And of course, don't forget your mango.